As we turn our attention now to the word of the Lord, would you bow with me and let's pray together once again. Father in heaven, we come before you and we ask, Lord, that you would come now and speak. We have lifted your name in praise and worship through song. We have worshipped you through the giving of our financial resources. Now we seek to worship you through the reading, through the teaching, through the proclamation of your holy word. We ask, Father, that you would speak in spite of an insufficient servant. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us, that your word would speak to us, that, Father, you would shut my mouth to any of my thoughts and my words, and that, Holy Spirit, you and you alone would speak through me as your vessel. Lord, may you increase as I decrease. Father, we ask that your holy word, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move through your holy word. That you would encourage those of us who need courage and strength. That you would comfort those of us who are mourning. That you would convict those of us who need conviction. That you would challenge those of us who need to be challenged and motivate those of us who have become apathetic and lazy. Help us, Lord, to be motivated to live for you. Remind us of the gospel, Lord, that there is hope found in you, but that hope is found only in you. Remind us of the goodness of your grace. We each, Lord, need a refresher this morning, need to be reminded of how good your gospel is, how there is salvation available to all who would call upon the name of the Lord if we would trust in your sacrifice and your resurrection. Lord, we ask that you would do all these things and that you would move as we turn our, holy, as our, attention, turn our attention to your holy word, Lord. We ask all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. My friends, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. We will be in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, through chapter 6, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, through chapter 6. Verse 2, if you don't have a paper copy of the Scriptures and you would like a printed edition, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew in front of you or take it as our gift to you. You can keep that and take it home with you. If you would prefer to access the Word of the Lord in a digital manner or follow along on the screens, all of that is perfectly fine and acceptable. But I would ask, regardless of how you're accessing the Word of the Lord, would you please, if you're physically able, Stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together now at Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. I'll read for us when I've completed. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you are grateful for the word of the Lord, I encourage you to respond by saying thanks be to God. Let's look now. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. The word of the Lord says, Although he was a son... He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to this passage this morning as we continue our sermon series looking on what a disciple of Jesus Christ really looks like. We have couched all of this sermon series in the gospel itself. What is first and foremost, what is most important is that we believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came from heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life died the death that we deserved, and three days later was raised from the dead. He took the penalty that we justly deserved. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead. Because he lives, we have hope of a right relationship with God Almighty. Someone who has believed in that in such a way that it affects the core of who they are, their life begins to change. And they begin to look less like who they were and more like a disciple, which is a follower, which is an apprentice, which is a lifelong learner after Jesus Christ. And so we see that that's the command that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We've looked at this verse every one of these last five weeks because we are called to make disciples. That is the only verb, that is the only imperative in this set of verses. In your going, as you're teaching, as you're baptizing, all those are participles. The one imperative is make disciples. And so we as a church are looking at how do we make disciples? What is a disciple? If we're trying to make disciples, what is a disciple? We see in Galatians, it says that a follower of Jesus Christ is going to be filled with the fruit of of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control but the practical outworking of those fruit of the spirit of those attributes is summarized in what we've termed our m7 our seven m's we have borrowed these from a pastor friend of mine named ken adams but a person who is a disciple of jesus christ will be these seven M's. And it starts with member. A person who is a disciple of Jesus Christ will be a member of a local community, of a local congregation, of a body of believers. If you belong to the church, then you will belong to a church. And then the rest of these flow out of the context of membership. As members, we will magnify the Lord. We will be magnifiers personally in our own lives and collectively together that's what we seek to do in our worship services is to praise the only holy god 
Not only are we members one of another, not only are we magnifying the Lord together, but we are also ministers. We serve one another. It is our call as Christians to be in service to one another, to serve our community, to minister to those who are in need, to those who need help, who need to know about Jesus. And Jesus got his hands dirty. He washed the disciples' feet in the same way we should be servants and ministers. A disciple of Jesus Christ should also be maturing. A disciple of Jesus Christ should also be a manager. A disciple of Jesus Christ should also be a messenger. And last, but definitely not least, a multiplier. Someone who makes disciples. If we are going to be a disciple, we must be the kind of people who make other disciples. So this morning we are looking at what it means to be maturing, what it means to be a maturing disciple. Disciples of Jesus Christ grow up in the gospel. When you think of the word mature, what we usually come to grips with is maturity is a state of being fully grown. That's why this word is not a mature disciple, because we are constantly in a process of maturing. And so we never reach that state of being a fully grown, fully developed disciple until we stand in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of our lives, once we believe in Jesus, we are justified by faith, through, by grace, through faith. We are justified. And then the rest of our life becomes a process of maturing, of growing up in the gospel. There is never a time where you and I will reach a point of lacking the need for more maturity in Jesus. Now, we think of the word mature. We think of somebody who's an adolescent. They are immature. We think of somebody who grows into adulthood. Sometimes we talk about adults who are immature. Oftentimes, I think maybe I fall into this category. Maybe I should have been a children's minister or some sort of junior high minister in some way because I seem to fall into the category of immaturity far too often. And it is a struggle that I am constantly working on. But we think of that word and we separate it from the idea of fully grown. We move from this idea of being mature as being fully grown to maturity as being a state of wisdom. A state of rising above what is petty. A state of understanding and applying the knowledge that we have. And that's what we're talking about when we say that someone who physically is mature, still mentally, spiritually, emotionally, or in other ways, is immature. Oftentimes, psychiatrists and psychologists will tell you that some of the people that they talk with, though their physical age may be one thing, their maturity, their mental, their physical development, and their mental and emotional development is mismatched. That's often a result of different abuses or different experiences that they've had in their lives. The same thing can be true in our Christian walk. The same thing can be true in our faith. We are called to be maturing. A disciple of Christ is growing spiritually. But just because we're growing spiritually does not necessarily mean that somebody who's been following Jesus for 50 years is more spiritually mature than somebody that's been following Jesus for 10 years. Physically, in a physical sense, they have been following Jesus temporally for more time. More time has passed with them following Jesus. But what happens to so many of us is we mature to a point, we decide we're good enough, and we quit. We give up. We quit trying. 
And if we're honest with ourselves, that's the only explanation. We think, I know enough. I'm good enough. I've got the gospel enough. Church can take a backseat to the rest of my life and the rest of my plans because I've got the gospel good enough. And I want us to understand this morning that a true disciple is a lifelong learner, a lifelong follower of Jesus. And if we're going to be maturing as we follow him, it is a decision of ours as to whether we're going to be 50 years following Jesus and still at the same level of spiritual maturity as somebody who's been walking with the Lord for 10, 5, 1 year. Something happens to us. We follow Jesus and we get excited and we want to tell people about Jesus. Let me tell you what just happened in my life. God, turn my life upside down. I've got to tell you what's going on. And then something happens to settle us. And we think that if we can just know more stuff, that maybe we'll be more spiritually mature. And so we strive for that earlier fervor and zeal because we can learn more stuff. And if we have a higher knowledge of more doctrine and more theology and more church history, then maybe we'll be more mature. That doesn't necessarily add up. Just because you know a lot more about the Bible doesn't mean that you are spiritually mature. I would have you know that some of the most brilliant people in all the world, some of the most intelligent Bible scholars in all the world, have no faith whatsoever in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they could quote huge chunks of Scripture to you in the original languages. They are familiar with the oldest and the earliest manuscripts, but they think everything about Jesus is a scam. They have no faith. Knowledge does not always equal maturity. Just because you know more. What happens is we forget that those who are maturing in Christ are growing up in the gospel. It means we're learning how to apply the gospel to our lives. That's what Paul's talking about when we get to 1 Corinthians. You look in 1 Corinthians and Paul has this passage that also talks about spiritual milk, just like we saw in our Hebrews passage. He says in chapter 3, Verses 1 through 9 of 1 Corinthians. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. And even now, you're not ready for it. How does he know that they're not ready for the solid food? For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one, when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, ministers, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, building us up. We started and laid a foundation of the gospel and then build from there. He understands that they still need spiritual milk, not because they don't know enough. But because they're puffed up in their knowledge thinking, I know more than you because I was baptized by Apollos. 
No, 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 no. I know more than you because I was baptized by Paul. Well, I know more than all of y'all because I follow Jesus. I don't follow any of these men. I am of a higher order. I follow Jesus directly. Does this not sound like all the denominational arguments that we have? Does this not sound like all the argumentation that we have within our own body, within our own denomination, within our own trying to follow Jesus' tribe? This is what was going on in Corinth. They were immature. They weren't ready for solid food. They just could drink milk. Not because they didn't understand the gospel. Not because they didn't understand deep doctrines. But because they were fighting among themselves over who was more holy and who had more knowledge because who followed who. Which sect were you a part of? The same thing is true in our main passage in Hebrews. When we look at Hebrews chapter 5 beginning in verse 8. I love that he starts off, the author of Hebrews starts off and says this of Jesus. Listen, if you ever get discouraged about being mature, look at what it says about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He learned obedience through what he suffered. Our Lord Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man in one. I don't know how you take two fulls and make one instead of two halves and make one. But that is who Jesus was and is and forever will be. Fully God, fully man. And yet somehow in the mystery of who Jesus is, he had to learn obedience like a regular human being. Even Jesus himself learned obedience through his suffering. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. He is perfect, and so because of him, he is the eternal source of salvation for all who obey him. And he's designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, in verse 11, the author of Hebrews says all that stuff about Jesus is really cool. But here's the problem. I'm going to set all of that over here to the side, and I'm going to go back to talking about a problem that exists within the Hebrew believers. Because I can't just dive right into what it means that Jesus is designated by God as high priest after the order of Melchizedek without addressing first this other issue. So let's put the whole high priest by the order of Melchizedek aside and look at after about this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. This is that transition verse. Well, I got a lot to say, the writer of Hebrews says, about this whole Righteous by the order of Melchizedek thing. But I can't say it right now, and it is hard to explain. But it's mostly hard to explain because the readers of this letter have become dull of hearing. For though by this time, you ought to be teachers. The people reading this letter, the people listening to this letter, they ought to be the ones out teaching others the gospel, helping others to mature in their faith. But instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of god you need milk not solid food same thing same thing that paul is saying in first corinthians you're not ready for solid food i have to keep giving you milk because there's so much strife because all of you are bickering amongst yourselves and so for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child but solid food is for the mature Now, notice how solid food is for the mature. There's a comma. There's an interjection. This is the explanation of mature. For those who are mature, this is the definition. For those who have their powers of discernment, those are the ones who are mature. 
for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He calls the mature those who have the power of discernment, to be able to tell the difference between good and evil. Maturity, spiritually speaking, has a lot to do with wisdom. What is wise and what is unwise? You can determine someone's spiritual maturity by the wisdom they, they display in their own life. Somebody who is spiritually mature doesn't just have knowledge of the gospel, but they know how to apply that knowledge in daily life. They know how to discern what is good and evil, what is worth their time and what is not worth their time. For the mature, those who have their powers of discernment that are trained by constant practice, it is those who have the wisdom to understand that it takes practice to constantly work at discerning what is good, what is evil, what is better and what is best. It's one thing to have knowledge. It's another thing altogether to have wisdom and maturity. I want to think about for a second how they train teachers at almost every university across the United States. They train teachers up by making them learn basics of all of the subjects of which they're going to teach. And then if they're going to specialize in some specific subject, then they have to do extra studies in that specific subject. But then all the teachers, all right, we got enough teachers in this congregation that if this is wrong, they can call me out, all right? You can stand up and call me down. But all the teachers have courses on how to manage the classroom how to manage the students that they will be teaching. They have courses on how to conduct yourself as a teacher, how to make lesson plans. And they get all this knowledge, but every program that I'm familiar with takes those teachers, and for their last semester or second to last semester, they have to spend a time as a student teacher. They have to go to a classroom and watch somebody else and help and assist that other person and learn what it's like to take all that knowledge from college and put it into practice. I don't want a teacher teaching my kids or teaching me that just got out of university, right? That just got out and has never got any practical experience. We all have trepidation about that. Anxiety, is my kid going to be in a good class? Will this class be managed well? Especially if they never had any student teaching time. So they take all the knowledge and say, here's how you put that knowledge into practice. The same is true of being a follower of Jesus Christ. The same is true of following after our Lord. There should be an amount of wisdom. You could know the ins and outs of what it means to be free will or be predestination. You could know the ins and outs of dispensationalism and covenant theology. You can know the ins and outs of young earth creation and old earth creation. You can know the ins and outs of all the Greek language and all the Hebrew language. But if all you've got is knowledge and you have no idea how to put it into practice, you're not spiritually mature. This church understands this all too well, right? Almost six years ago, February 26, 2017, was my trial sermon here. I went to high school, graduated with a really good GPA, a bunch of other folks. We all tied for valedictorian. I went to college. I graduated from Sanford with my undergraduate in Spanish and world religions and graduated with honors. I went to seminary, graduate school. I worked for three, three and a half years. And I graduated with honors from Beeson Divinity School. I went to a church and I served for three years at a sister church as a lead pastor. And then this church, when I was 
29 years old, even more stupid and in, immature and unwise than I am now, by your grace, six years ago, you, you called me to be your pastor. What good does it do to have somebody come and serve you as a pastor if all they've got is a bunch of knowledge from school, but they don't have practical wisdom of how to put it into place? What good does it do if someone can tell you all the ins and outs of every ancient language? They know Latin. They know Greek. They know Spanish. They know Hebrew. They look at the old manuscripts. What good does it do for someone to have a ton of head knowledge, but their heart is far from the Lord? It does no good. All of us should be maturing. And for some reason, we've been tricked or scammed or conned into thinking that if I'm going to be spiritually mature, I've got to know more stuff. I've got to be able to articulate the gospel in some profound way that nobody has ever articulated the gospel before. Let me tell you something. People have been following Jesus for over 2,000 years. If you have a new idea, that should scare you. That should not make you feel like, aha, I've arrived. It should scare you. Because everything under the sun has already happened. There are no new ideas. We understand who Jesus is. And we grow up in the gospel. And the way we grow up is by discerning. Is this worth my time? Is this worth my time? How do I share the gospel more efficiently, more effectively? We grow up in the gospel. We don't sit around and argue about the elementary doctrine of Christ. We don't argue about repentance and dead works and faith towards God. We don't argue about baptisms and washings. That's what it means when it's talking about washings. We don't argue about laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment other than to know that we should lay hands on people, that we should... uh, Man, that was weird. I'm sorry. Water just dripped and hit my iPad. Anyway... Sorry, ADD. It just gets me sometimes. Apologize. If we're going to be mature, maturity is defined by having wisdom of what matters and what doesn't matter. And when we look at the church today, we don't see a bunch of disciples who are mature because they know what matters and don't. We see a bunch of immature, spoiled brats. And all of us are wandering around, bickering and arguing, drinking spiritual milk, thinking that we're some lofty person who God should be grateful that we serve Him, and all the while we miss how spiritually immature we are. We're spoiled, rotten on milk. And we don't move from milk to solid food by chewing on harder doctrines to comprehend. We move from milk to solid food by understanding to choose between the good and the evil. And this is repeated again in 1 Peter. Turn with me quickly. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Just a little bit past Hebrews. 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 1 Peter. Listen to what he says in the first few verses. Then he moves into spiritual milk and growing up into salvation. Look look at verse 1. Put away malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. How do we grow up into salvation? We put away our malice towards one another. 
We put away our deceit of one another. We put away our hypocrisy and live genuine, transparent lives where we show people, hey, I'm not perfect and you aren't either. And we're going to work this out and mature in the gospel together. We put away our hypocrisy. We put away our envy and stop looking at what other people have and hoping that God will bless us like he's blessed them when he's blessed us in a different way. And we have the wisdom and maturity to understand that God has different gifts for different people, different blessings for different children. And we stop envying one another. We stop slandering one another and spreading vicious rumors and gossip and lies, especially about those within our own church that are unsubstantiated. And you call up somebody else instead of going to the person that it's about. And you say, hey, have you heard about so-and-so? Have you heard that they're doing this? Have you heard about this, that, or the other? If you genuinely are concerned about that person, go to them. That shows spiritual maturity. But that's hard. So we run from that. And instead, we just chit-chit-chit-chit-chit behind everybody's back and slander and envy with deceit and hypocrisy. And we sit there and we think, ooh, I'm so spiritually mature. I'm growing up. No, we failed. We're still drinking milk. And it's time to move on from milk. And the way to do that is to be mature. And the way to be mature is to learn how to discern the good from the evil. To put away the evil practices. It's not about growing in your head knowledge. That's important. But man, I am so sick of people walking around acting like they've got everything down pat. The people you should be most afraid of are the people that tell you they got everything about God figured out. Because let me tell you, I have been following the Lord since I was three years old. You can deny it if you want to, but I promise you it's the early and most earliest and most vivid memory I have in my life. I turned 35 at the end of this month, so that means I've been following the Lord for 32 years. And I haven't even begun to scratch the surface of understanding the depths and the heights and the width and the breadth of our God. He is the only holy God. And there is so much more to learn. And I have so much more to grow in maturity. And you know the truth of the matter is, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how long you've been walking with the Lord, you do too. i got a long way to go, and so do you. And the way to grow up is not just shoving our head in a book and being angry and ugly to everybody around us. It's by growing together. Learning to live in harmony and peace with each other. The way to grow up and be mature is to stop caring so much about my life and my kids and my schedule and what I got to do and what I want and to love other people. That's maturity in the gospel. That's getting out of that spiritual milk and growing up into the tough food. Think about all the people in your life who have been the most mature spiritually and the biggest influence on you. Was it because they had a big brain? Was it because they had a lot of knowledge or was it because they practiced the gospel daily? I wonder this morning, church, if you call yourself a disciple, how are you practicing the gospel daily? How are you putting into practice and putting away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy? It goes all the way back to the very first psalm. It goes all the way back to the very first psalm. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff 
that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you not see how Psalm 1 ties right back to verse 14 of Hebrews 5? Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is spiritual maturity. This is wisdom. Are you drinking spiritual milk this morning? I've been on milk for way too long myself. And God is calling us to a deeper relationship. God is calling us to reorganize our priorities. God is calling us to follow him, to be lifelong learners, to grow up in the gospel. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, it means believing in Jesus and becoming his disciple, maturing and growing up in him. Where do you stand? Would you call yourself his disciple? If you would, are you maturing? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is found in it. We love you, Father. God, thank you that you are so patient and long-suffering with us. Thank you for grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Lord, thank you. Even when we've been drinking milk way longer than we should. You still walk with us. You still help us to grow. Help us, Lord, to grow up in your gospel. To discern the good from the evil. To avoid petty, silly, infantile conflicts. Lord, we we ask you would help us to love one another. Remind us, Lord, of that zeal that we had when we first began to follow you. Reignite the fires in our heart that we might reorganize our lives and be passionate towards you and grow up in the gospel and be mature followers of you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, lastly, I just want to ask if there's anybody here that's not a disciple, that's not your follower, that's never said, I believe in the Lord Jesus and I will follow him. Would you move on their heart that they might choose to follow you this morning? God, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.